happy Valentine's Day weekend. I hope that you felt love this weekend. If you didn't, you came to church and you heard about how much God loves you. It's an incredible love. God loves you. And he loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. God loves you. What an incredible gift. Well, good morning. All right, there we go. We've got a few people awake today. Good. If you take out your bulletins, I want to show you a couple things real quick. I want to draw your attention to this little sheet that says service opportunities. Service opportunities, I want to draw your attention. This is uh, something we do usually here at the beginning of the year, and then also we do somewhere around the August, September time. This is just opportunities right now. It is front and back, and so you can look at it and find your place where you can actually be a part of what God is doing here and serve. Do you realize that every weekend it takes about 100 people who volunteer just to make a weekend happen? Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of people who are willing to give their time and give just extra effort in order to make this happen. It is, this is not a one-man show, so it takes a lot of people um, doing something And I want to encourage you to take your talents, use your talents, and use those for God's kingdom. Now, just in case, as you're reading through it, I'm encouraging you still to be looking at it. Make sure you look at it front and back. There might be an opportunity you say, yes, absolutely, that's what I want to do. So I want you to do this. I want you to take your pen. I want you to circle it, write your name down at the bottom. And after service, I want you to take it out to, um, there's a sign that says service opportunities. There will be people at the table. They will help you talk, and maybe some of you can actually get started serving next week. All right? That would be awesome. Some of you are going, well, that was really good. This is definitely my sign from God. I don't see anything that I want to do. I know how you think. I've got your number. So you looked at it and you said, there's nothing on there, so God obviously doesn't want me to sign. If there's nothing on here that you want to do, here's what we have to do. Fill out your name and then look at the bottom of the sheet. It says, area you would like to serve. And then there's something underneath. Do you see that word? other. That includes anything else that you can think of. We've got you covered. If God is calling you to do something, which he is, because if you're a child of God, you trusted Jesus as your personal savior, the Holy Spirit is inside of you who's given you spiritual gifts to actually further his kingdom. That means you're called to serve. So get involved. Sign up right now. Maybe you've been looking for it and you don't know where to go. You don't even know where to start. You're saying, hey, Heath, I'm willing. I just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Fill out your name. Put it, go in the back and say, I have no idea, or I have no clue. I just, whatever you want to say, I'm willing, I just don't know what to do. Take it out to the table, they'll be willing to talk to you, and we'll get you signed up and get you ready to go this next week. All right, how's that sound? That work? All right, very good. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be going today. Matthew chapter 16. What if I were to tell you that today you're going to have a pop quiz? There's some of you who are going, yeah, right. I didn't sign up to come to church for that, so you're out the door, right? Maybe some of you are going, pop quiz. You, don't, you haven't heard those words in a long time. Maybe you heard them this week, matter of fact, for some of the students in here. They heard it this week. When you hear the words pop quiz, what kind of emotions come through? Yeah. Excitement. That's exactly it. There's excitement. Yes, this is what I hope for today. <laughs> there's, there's fear. There's anxiety, right? There's, oh, no. I'm about to blow it. I have no idea what's going to be on it. Pop quiz gives all kinds of emotion because, one, you're unprepared. Anybody can be prepared for a test if they had the study guide ahead of time and they, had, they knew the date it was coming and they could memorize all the answers. But the problem with a pop quiz is that a pop quiz occurs when you're not expecting it and you have no idea what's going to be on it. 
That's a pop quiz. Matthew chapter 16, here's what's going on. Jesus is about to give his disciples a pop quiz. He is going to ask them the greatest question that's ever going to be asked. Matter of fact, it's the greatest question you'll ever be asked. The greatest question in the entire world, he's going to ask that to the disciples in just a moment. And then after he asks them the question, then he's going to give a very powerful prediction of what the church should be like. If you remember last week, Jesus and the disciples were, were interacting with the religious leaders. As they interacted with the religious leaders, there was this point in time when Jesus stepped away and said, I'm finished, I'm done. I'm not talking to the religious leaders. So they get in a boat and go across the sea. They go across the Sea of Galilee. Once they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they begin to walk. And they walk about 25 miles north. We're going to put a map here on the, the screen for you. So you can see the body of water, the Sea of Galilee. And they begin to walk north. In about 25 miles, they get to a mountain called Mount Hermon. It's 25 miles north. You can also see how that it's surrounded by other countries. This is the northern part of Israel. Okay, so the very top of the promised land, and it's surrounded by other countries, other nations. They get to a town that's called Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me show you Mount Hermon, because many of you maybe don't know, but Mount Hermon is actually a beautiful place. It's a snow-capped mountain. It's about sets about 9,000 feet above uh, sea level. As a matter of fact, you can go skiing there. They have ski resorts and all kinds. It's a beautiful area, and people from all the surrounding countries will come and ski there. And so you can see the picture of the body of water, and then that setting looking north to Mount Hermon, the snow-capped mountain. All right? They get there, and this is a, a town called Caesarea Philippi. Not to be confused by Caesarea, by the sea, by the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm going to share with you a couple facts because it's going to actually play out in just a moment, all right? Caesarea Philippi, um, this city was actually called Panaris first. Then Caesar Augustus gave the land to Herod the Great. And Herod the Great decided to change it in honor of the king, or Caesar. And so he called the city Caesar, Caesarea, all right? He calls it that. His son is Philip the Tetrarch. Philip the Tetrarch begins to get into power, and as he gets into power, he decides to actually separate it and distinguish it from Caesarea by the sea, and so now he adds his last name, so it's Caesarea Philippi. All right, so this is up in that area. It is actually, Panaris is actually the god they would worship here called Pan. The uh, Greek mythological god named Pan would actually be right here in this area where they worship. And so I've got a picture here. You can actually see there's a cave to the left. That's actually where they would worship. Uh, they'd go into the temple. They would worship in that area. They would offer the sacrifices right there in, the, in those areas. And then you can kind of see how this was going to be setting up. So Jesus leaves the religious leaders of the Jews, and they get up into this pagan culture, this pagan world, Caesarea Philippi. And so now they're getting away from all the Jewish fighting back and forth a tradition and religion, and now they're going to begin to ask a question. And Jesus is going to ask a question, and then he's going to make a very powerful prediction. So Matthew chapter 16, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Here's what we have. Go all the way down to verse 13, if you will, and this is what it says. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter quickly replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for incredible blessings. I am amazed by your love, and I am so thankful that you love unconditionally. God, I pray that as we sing, it was beautiful to you, and I pray that it came from a heart of worship. As we dive into this next few moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in this place. God, I pray that you would anoint this time, and Heavenly Father, I'm asking that your Spirit would give us the ears to hear. I pray that you would speak through me. God, give me the words to say so that Truly, we would hear from you today. That's why we came. We want to hear from you. So, Father, I pray that you would do a great work. Give us the courage to apply it to our lives. And I pray today that Jesus would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' precious, precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. The jacket's coming off. There's no way I'm going to last through the service with that on. All right, so here's what we have. So Jesus is going to ask a question. He gets the disciples together. He gathers them around. And they've now traveled and they've talked and they've interacted. And now Jesus is going to summarize and he's going to ask a question. Guys, hey, I've been with you for two years. I've been with you for maybe two and a half years. And what you have seen is you've seen miracles. You've seen me perform healings. You've seen lame men begin to walk. You've seen blind eyes opened. You've seen incredible miracles. You've seen me feed 5,000. You've seen me feed 4,000. You've seen me feed a lot of people. You've heard incredible teaching. Jesus is saying, I spoke to you. I preached. I taught. You've heard all of this for two and a half years. Now, all of it comes to this one question. Who is Jesus? The greatest question that's ever going to be asked is, who is Jesus? And the reason it's greater than any math question or any philosophical question that you could ask is because on the answer of this one question hangs the balance of eternity. You see, you can ask any kind of philosophical question and the the end result's like, eh. You can ask any math question, science question. You can ask any other question in the world. All the history facts. But eternity doesn't hang on the balance. On those questions. This one question, who is Jesus? The way in which you answer this question, all eternity hangs in the balance for you. That's a mammoth question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? So Jesus sums it up. He says, guys, pop quiz. This is your your exam. Have you paid attention enough? The miracles weren't just for fun. I wasn't just going, oh yeah, look how good I am. Jesus is not, he's not dancing, he's not showboating, he's not trying to do anything else. All he's really wanting to do, everything he's ever taught and everything he's ever done points to this one thing. It was to demonstrate who Jesus is. So how do you answer it? Who is Jesus? So the disciples begin, Jesus starts off, he says, okay, let's just take off some pressure here. Don't you like it when the teacher takes the pressure off of you and says, Okay, what's everybody else saying? Well, when they, as soon as they open up about everybody else, then you can say the wrong answer, and it's okay. Isn't that great? You can say the wrong answer, and, and, and then there's a, you're not going to get in trouble. You're going, well, 
I didn't say that's what I believe. That's just what other people said. So Jesus asked the question, who does everybody else say that I am? So they began to walk through it. And the first one is this, John the Baptist. People are saying that, Jesus, you're John the Baptist. Do you remember why they would say that? Herod the Great was actually one of the ones who thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist had actually called out Herod and said, hey, you shouldn't have your, your sister's or your brother's wife. That's wrong. And so he got mad at him, had John the Baptist put in jail. Now, John the Baptist was one of those crazy guys. He ate weird food. Remember that? And he, he, he didn't have the best style. I mean, he, he, wore, he didn't wear robes. He wore animal skin. He was a manly man. All right, so he was that, that rough, outdoorsy type. He had the, probably the smell that went along with it. I mean, he just lived out in the wilderness. Wilderness man. So he, he, he's kind of crazy. Well, he gets thrown into prison for calling the, the king out. The king has this enormous party, and this, everybody's coming in, and he calls out uh, the girls to come out and dance. And one of the girls that was dancing was his stepdaughter. And he was so pleased by her dancing that he says... Like any good drunk guy, right? I mean, he's like, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. It's exactly what he says. I'll give you anything, up to half the kingdom. And she goes, mom, what do I ask? So he goes, she goes and asks her mom, mom, what should I ask? He said, I can have up to half the kingdom. This is incredible. He must be really drunk. Mom says, we want John the Baptist's head. Oh, wow, okay. That's kind of gross, mom. She goes back, tells her stepfather, John the Baptist's head on a platter. So at the party, they bring John the Baptist's head on a platter, beheaded. Here's the head. It so rocked Herod that from there on, as he heard Jesus teaching, preaching, and as he heard of all the miracles going on, he said, "Uh uh-oh, this John the Baptist guy, he's coming back to haunt me. He thought Jesus was John the Baptist coming back, and he was scared of it. There was another group who said, Elijah. Some people are saying Elijah. This is what I've heard. Elijah. Jesus, you're Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the, the, the pinnacle, premier prophets. Do you remember what he did? When we traveled Israel, we got up on top of Mount Carmel. And on top of Mount Carmel, there was this statue of Elijah fighting the prophets. And he actually standing, and as he's standing there, his, his foot is on the head of one of the prophets of Baal. And on that mountain is where Elijah and the prophets began to go back and forth and banter about whose God was greater. And on that mountainside is where Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. Incredible. And so even today, if you are around a Jew, there are many of the Jews, when they observe the Passover, they will have an empty chair at the Passover. And do you know who it's for? It's for Elijah. Because he's coming back to proclaim that the Messiah is here. So many of them say, maybe Jesus, maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're the one coming to proclaim that the Messiah is here. Okay, well, others, another disciple speaks of him and says, Jesus, here's what I heard. I heard that you were Jeremiah. One of the most revered and honored prophets. In the time of the the captivity and and Jerusalem being destroyed, the gates and the the walls being torn down. Jesus, you're the one. You're Jeremiah, the one who proclaimed and cried, known as the weeping prophet who cried and cried out, asking for God's blessing in the midst of all the turmoil. Or maybe you're just some other prophet, is what somebody else said. This got me thinking, what do people say 
even today. What do people? What have people said throughout history about who Jesus is? Remember Pontius Pilate? He said, I, "I don't find any fault in him," but that's about as far as he went. Napoleon, the great conqueror, said this: "I know men," and Jesus was no mere man. Diderot said this of Jesus: "Jesus is the unsurpassed." Strauss said this of Jesus: "Jesus is the highest model of religion." John Stuart Mill said, Jesus is the guide for humanity. Brennan said, Jesus is the greatest among the sons of men. Theodore Parker said of Jesus, he's a a youth with God in his heart. Robert Owens, the irreproachable one. Broadway here in New York says, Jesus Christ is the superstar. John Lennon, do you remember John Lennon? Here's what he said. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I am right, and I will be proved right. We are now more popular than Jesus. I don't know which one will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Mikhail Gorbachev. Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Albert Einstein, he says, I'm a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase mongers however artful. We could go on and on, but here's where we have to ask the question. Do you know what other people are saying? What are people saying in our culture about who Jesus is? Just a good man? Just a good man? Maybe he's a great moral teacher. Who is Jesus? That's a good question for us to realize and understand what people around us are saying, whether it's at school whether it's in our own homes, maybe it's in our own families. Who is Jesus? And then we have to come to the next question. And I almost see Jesus as he's sitting around here in this, this pagan city. He's talking to the disciples, and they're all talking and giving out all their answers. And then Jesus gets to this next question. He says, okay, we've answered what everybody else says. Now, guys, what do you think? Who do you think I am? And Peter, can you see how fast he responded? He didn't even raise his hand. He wasn't called on. This is Peter in his typical fashion, as quick as he could. It's like, finally, yes, I will tell you who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of God. It's like he was eating him up. He he couldn't stand everybody else being wrong. Because Peter has this, he's he's right, he's concise, and look how quick he is. He's, He's so concise. He doesn't even need, he doesn't need a paragraph. He's just bullet point, boom, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I got it. So what do we even need to argue anymore for? And here's here's where it comes down for us. You ready? This is what C.S. Lewis argued in Mere Christianity. He said, you can't just call Jesus a good moral teacher. You can't call him a good moral teacher. Because if he's a good moral teacher yet claim to be God, then he is obviously a liar or he's a lunatic. He's a crazy man. But he's not a good moral teacher. The only option that you have is that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or what? He's he's the son of God. He's the Lord. It's an incredible phrase. So you can't get stuck. Here's where we're at. Who is Jesus? And for you and I, all eternity hangs in the balance with how we answer this question. Do you know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one in which whom you have trusted? And some of you are going, wait, 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 time out. I've always believed. 
no, you haven't always believed. No, Heath, really, I grew up in church. I've always believed. Then here's the problem. There has to be a point in time in which you have actually chosen to follow Jesus Christ. It's a decision in which you have had to make. Make. It's not something mom and dad can make for you or grandma and papa. Maybe, maybe you're saying from the, your entire life, I've always trusted Jesus. And maybe you've been, you're, I, when we were working with teenagers, it would drive me nuts. Because we would talk about salvation. And as we talked about salvation, the, kid, the teenager would look at us and go, I need to do this. I just don't ever remember doing this. I never trusted Jesus. I just kind of just always been around it. And we'd say, okay, then you need to take care of it. And then you, they'd get home, and mom and dad would say this. No, you remember when you were three, you did that. You remember when you were four, and they're going, no. I was flipping three years old. You can't remember anything at three or four. Now, I'm, 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 I, listen, I love you. My name's Heath, and I'm your friend, and I'm trying to come alongside you on this. This is too great of a question to play around with and to act like you just might have always known. It's too great a question. All eternity hangs in the balance. Now watch. Paul takes it one step further. When you get to this last part, Paul in Philippians, he actually challenges us and he says, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will what? Bow. And confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Now watch. You will either do it on this side of eternity, claim that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God, or you will do it on the other side, but either way you'll do it. You're going, really? It's true. Either way, you can deny him all you want on this side of eternity, and that's your prerogative, and that's your right, and that's your, God get freely allows for that to happen. But on the other side of eternity, when you come face to face with Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now here's what Jesus replies when Simon Peter answers He said, blessed, do you see that? Blessed are you. Why is Simon blessed? Because anybody who is blessed, you are blessed when you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you've recognized Jesus as the Messiah, you are blessed on this side of heaven and you will be blessed on the other side because here's what happens. When you acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, you ready for this? You get God this side of heaven, but you also get God for all eternity. You're blessed. What an incredible gift. If you do not take Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Christ, as your Lord and Savior on this side of eternity, when you get to the other side, now watch, when you get to the other side, then you will spend all eternity without him. So you are blessed when you take and you choose this path. There was a little girl who went to the doctor, and as she went to the doctor, she was extremely nervous, and as she was talking to the doctor, the doctor said, okay, I'm going to now listen to your heart. So she takes out the stethoscope, and the doctor begins to put it right here, and she begins to listen, and and the doctor asks, well, who's in there? Is it Mickey? Is it Donald? Is it Barney? Who's in there? And the little girl looked at her and was like, what? She goes, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my panties. The clarity, the clarity of a young one. Who is Jesus? Do you know without a doubt who he is? Have you asked him to be your Savior and Lord? 
now, Jesus now moves into the next part of this. And now he's going to make an incredible prediction. And he, now he's going to begin to talk about the church. Now remember, we're talking about the church emerging. It's not fully, fully out yet. It's, it's just like it's starting to hatch. The eggshell is, a, is cracking, but, but G, the church hasn't quite fully been demonstrated yet. It's not fully here, but it's starting to work. And so here's what you see. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, Simon, this is an amazing thing. You can't do this on your own. You don't get there on your own. It's only by the God's grace that the Holy Spirit, that the Father has actually worked in your life so that you get here. He says, now I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to tell you some things about the church. Let's talk about the church and what the church is going to be. He says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is an amazing statement. This statement right here, let me give you five things about the church. Five things about the church, five facts that come out of these couple sentences right here. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be a strong foundation. It's going to have a strong foundation. And Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is where it gets fun, and I have to do a little bit of work because I don't know how many of you have come out of the Catholic tradition, but I want to, to encourage you on how several people have interpreted this and even other people outside of the Catholic world has, have, have taken this scripture. So let's just look at this because this is a lot of controversy and there's a lot of talk on this passage on what is actually meant. So here we go. First of all, so some will take this, especially in the Catholic, they'll take this as an interpretation of that what Jesus is claiming is that Peter is going to be the greatest among all the disciples and that on Peter the entire church was going to start. And so the Catholic church will say that Peter was the first Pope. He's the greatest among all the disciples. Now here's where I want to help walk us through. So what it means is this. From, from there on, from Peter on, all popes are able to speak ex cathedra, which means that they have the authority of speaking on par with God's word. Okay, so they, that's where they get their power, that's where they get their authority, is because of this simple statement here. Now, Here's a couple things, just let me show you scripture so to demonstrate that Peter would not be considered the greatest among all the disciples. If you go just two chapters ahead, I like staying in the same book so that way it demonstrates there's continuity in the thought and it's the same author so it gives our argument a little bit more power. Matthew chapter 18, the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now this would have been a perfect time for Jesus to come up and say, hey guys, don't you remember I said Peter was the greatest? He's the rock. He's the one I'm building the church. But instead of Jesus saying, hey, don't you remember Peter's the greatest? Jesus sits down and he calls who? He calls a child. He calls kids to him. He says, I'm going to show you what the greatest looks like. If you humble yourself like a little child and serve, that's going to be the greatest people in my kingdom. But that, he didn't say about Peter. He said about anybody, didn't he? Go two chapters ahead, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, there's, there's two guys named James and John, and they're called the sons of what? Thunder. It's like NASCAR came to the Bible. All right, so the, it, the sons of thunder, they're trying to figure out how to become great, so they get their mama involved. All right, so these strong men actually get mama to get involved. They're mama's boys, all right? So they get mama, hey, mama, would you help us out? Go talk to Jesus. So they get G, um, their mama to go talk to Jesus, and she comes up and she says, Hey, Jesus, can, can I ask a favor? Can I get my sons, James and John, to sit on the right hand and the left hand? Is that okay? I want that for my kingdom, uh, for your kingdom, and I want them to be the most powerful. Again, this would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say what? 
man, you guys are, you're idiots. I've already given it to Peter. But he doesn't say, I've given it to Peter, does he? He says what? He says, if you really want to be great in my kingdom, those places have already been taken care of. Those places are not for me to give away. But if you really want to be great, then you must do what? Serve. You go one step further. Let me show you Peter from his own mouth. Did Peter think that he was the top and the the ruler of all the disciples? If he did, you would think in his letter, either 1 Peter or 2 Peter, he would have written about it, right? But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter says this. He says, I, Peter, a fellow elder, a fellow, one amongst you, one leader amongst the many. So Peter never claims that. So if, if Peter's not the pope, and if Peter wasn't the first pope, he's not the first leader, then we have a problem then, right? We now have to go back to the interpretation. What does Jesus actually mean? He's going to build his church, and Peter, upon, upon you, this rock, I'm going to build my church. What does that mean? So here's another interpretation. One that's very popular, that it's actually very faithful to the text, it works, is that Peter, upon your confession of what you just stated, what you just spoke, this is true. The truth that you spoke that Jesus is the Messiah upon that confession, that is going to be it. Now let me give you one more. I think this next one actually is probably my favorite, so take it or leave it. I'm giving you three options. You can go look at it and do your study yourself. This last one is this. Because there's this play on words, Peter meaning small stone, Petros meaning large mountain, and it's a singular verse, a plural, and there's this play, then I, I believe it kind of plays out a little bit more like this. Peter, singular, your confession and what you've just taught, your teachings, is going to become part of the foundation. Along with the other disciples, the other plural, what they're going to teach. And here's how I get that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. When the disciples or the early church are gathering around, they're giving themselves to what? Prayer? Fellowship? They have to eat because they're good Baptists, right? They have to eat. So you got prayer, you got fellowship. And then it also says they... Daily devoted themselves to what? The teaching of the apostles. Okay, now keep going. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul is writing about the foundation of the church. He says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And then he says what? The foundation that was laid for the church was the teachings of the apostles and of the prophets. I believe that what Jesus is referencing here is that Peter, upon your confession and what you're teaching and what the rest of the disciples are going to be teaching, I'm going to lay a strong foundation. That's your first principle, the church. It's a strong foundation. Jesus laid a strong foundation, and this foundation is so strong that it's not going to be shaken by time, and it's not going to be shaken by centuries that have passed. It is going to be so strong that the church is going to be able to stand no matter what culture comes in, no matter what happens, what begins to dominate. Now, follow along. He says, couple more statements. I will build. I will build. The church is guaranteed to grow. It's guaranteed. Why? Because it says, I will. Jesus is about the growth. It's not about me. It's not about the, it's, it's not about what the, the church committees want to do. It's about what God wants to do. Jesus will build. Now watch. You're going, well, Heath, right now, don't you know that there's over 4,000 churches every year in North America closing their doors? I do know that. I know that. that, that 4,000 churches close their door every year here in North America. Well, how do you say that the church is growing? Here's what's really rocked me the last two weeks. You ready? As I've been reading and watching and following some of the news and following some of the things 
going on. Do you realize that the largest churches in the world are no longer in America? They're in Asia. Part of the world has been closed for years to the gospel. Do you realize in China where Christianity has been outlawed and many people have been persecuted, there are now more, more Christians in China than there are in the United States? Did you know that? And that's underground. They're not even able to talk about it publicly like we are. When Jesus says, I will build my church, I will grow it, it's going to happen no matter what cultures say. No matter what the government says, it's going to happen because Jesus is doing it and it's his movement, not anybody else's. Now, what else does he say? I will grow the church. And he says, it's my church. Do you see that little circle that? My church. Now, here's why it's extremely important for everyone in this room to hear. The church is not yours. Let me say it another way. The church isn't mine. The church is whose? It's Jesus' personal possession. It's his. So no matter how long you've been live, you've been saved for 50 years, guess what? This church isn't yours. You've been around this church for 20 years? Great, good job. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. It's his personal possession. It's his. He says, I will build my church. And then look at the next statement. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I'll be honest, this statement, it's kind of hard. Because maybe you've been around a dead church. Don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been around a dead church? Maybe you've been around a dead church where there was no life. Maybe you've watched and you've seen how churches just fall apart and you're going, man, there's no way. No way I've seen that. That the gates of hell will not prevail. A church that's so powerful and so strong that the gates of hell won't prevail. So what is he talking about? Let me show you something. You ready? Can you go back to the painting um, of that picture of Caesarea Philippi? Now, I want to draw your attention. There's a cave on the left side. There's a cave on the left side just behind the building. Do you see that? Okay, here's where it begins to play out very interesting for us. Okay, that cave is where they would actually go in and they would offer their sacrifices to the Greek god Pan. Okay, the Greek god Pan. Now, this is a picture when I was there in Israel. Um, the, the, the places, go ahead and go back to the, that cave. That's the cave right there. Um, these little places right here below is actually where the stream would flow. They banked it up so that they could have water. And the water was so crystal clear coming out of that spring, you could actually see the trout. It made me want to go fishing in Israel. It was a lot of fun. So anyway, they, they're, they're, the trout are right there, clear water. They would go to this cave, and here's what would happen. They would offer their sacrifices to Pan. They would get into the cave, and as they got into the cave, they would begin to throw either their lambs, their goats, their babies. They would throw into the cave their sacrifice. And in order to see if their sacrifice was accepted, if blood came out in the stream, then that meant Pan did not accept their sacrifice. If he took their sacrifice, then blood would not come out of the stream. In that moment of throwing their sacrifice in, there was this moment of anxiety and, oh no, what is about to happen? It's the actual root word for our word panic. It's the nerves, the fear. I'm about to panic. What is going to happen? Will my sacrifice, and can you imagine the emotions when you threw your baby in there? I hope this sacrifice is accepted. 
And so they're throwing it in. And it was actually considered the underworld. It was considered hell that you're throwing your sacrifice into. So when Jesus makes this statement, and all the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against, he was looking right at this area. They were sitting there at the gates of the underworld in which their God right there in that place was so powerful. And yet Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to understand something. I'm setting you up, and I'm setting you up to be invincible. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against what we're starting here. It's going to be so powerful because societies will try to stop you but it's going to be invincible. Societies are going to say, you can't do this. Now remember, right after Jesus dies, the Roman Empire began to say Christianity is outlawed. They began to martyr Christians. And if you go to Rome today, you can even see the Colosseum, right? And in the Colosseum, where all those thousands and thousands of Christians were persecuted and killed, do you know what hangs in the emperor's gate there going into the Colosseum? There hangs now a cross. And all across Rome, in 300 A.D., Constantine announced that the Roman religion for the entire empire would be Christianity. Here's what it's pushing us to understand. And here's where you and I need to understand more than anything else. While our government says Christianity is no good, while people will say we can't pray anymore, I'm telling you, more than anything else, you need to understand that what Jesus started, no man can stop because truly the gates of hell cannot prevail because who do we have on our side? You have Jesus. And he says, you will be invincible and the gates of hell won't be able to stop you. Now the next statement is this. He says, I'm going to give you power. Look at the statement. I will give you The keys. And whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. And here's an amazing statement. Jesus is saying, for the church, I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you authority. And when I give you this power, and I give you this authority, here's what's going to happen. You're going to proclaim the gospel, and as you proclaim the gospel, it's going to truly revolutionize people. It's going to set the captives free. Those who have been drug addicts, they'll be set free. Those whose marriages are on the rocks, they can find healing. Kids who have been running away, They can find restoration. You're going to find a life-healing power in the gospel. And I'm going to give you that power. And look what it says. I will give it. So here's where we have to ask the question as we finish up today. You ready? If the church is not living out these five, they don't have the power, they're not going forward, it's not growing, is it on God or is it on us? It's on who? Let me ask you a different question. Some of you, you've been living the Christian life. You've been living your life. If you don't have the power and authority in your life where you're truly seeing life change around you, who's that on? It's not on Jesus because he says, I will give it to you. It's on you not buying into and not connecting to what Jesus is offering. If our church is not doing what God is asking it to, Jesus says, I've already given it to you. I've given you the power. I've given you the ability to change culture. I've given you the ability to change the neighborhood. I've given you the authority. I've given you the power. I've even given you the supernatural method in which I will do it through you and the gates of hell won't stop it. So if the church is not pushing back darkness... It's not because Jesus hasn't given us the power. Did you hear that? It's because we're not 
tapped into what Jesus has already offered. Shame on us. Why is our culture where it's at here in America? It's on us as a church for not stepping up and being what we've been called to do. Does that make sense? So here we go. Here we go. We have to end by this. Two simple things. One, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do you know without a doubt that Jesus is the Christ and Messiah, the Son of the living God? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Have you done it? If you haven't done it, then today you need to give your life to him and say, God, here I am. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I give you my life. Two, if you have done that, let's walk. Let's walk in the power and let's be what Jesus has called us to be. And stop being scared at our school. Stop being scared at our work. And let's stop being anemic and dead. And let's stop, start being what God has called us to be. Let's be the church moving with power from on high. Let's do something about it. Let's tap into it because he's given us all the resources to do what he's called us to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we give you this time. We give you this moment. We thank you for what you've done, and we thank you for how that you're working. I pray that you would help us, help us to be the church that you've called us out to be. Help us to be individuals with the power and the authority that you've given us. In Jesus' precious name I pray.